0: Looking at verses 1 through 8, we're moving through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, last week we we looked at chapter 12 on spiritual gifts. And this uh, chapter, or this passage we're going to look at today, uh, has everything to do with spiritual gifts. Uh, It's very much the same topic, if you will. And so let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to begin in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We're going to stop right there. Father, I pray that you would guide us through this morning uh, as we look at your word. I pray that you'd help us to think uh, rightly about biblical love. I pray that uh, you would reveal to us the way that you love us. Uh, God, I know that that's the definition of love. Uh, God, you are love. Um, You have lived that out, uh, demonstrated that to us clearly uh, through Jesus, through the cross, through the gospel. And I pray, Father, that we would learn to love one another with that kind of love. Father, we ask for your grace. We ask for the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think one of our uh, biggest challenges to overcoming, uh, uh, understanding, I guess, our biggest challenge to overcome and understanding this passage is that really we don't have a word that works real well for this, okay? In um, the Greek, they've got a bunch of different words for love. Um, the ones used most popular in like Greek literature, so not like out, just outside the church, were like eros, which is romantic love. Now, we understand that. We've got all kinds of words for that, and people automatically click toward that. Uh, there was like phileo, which was kind of a, a brotherly love. Um, and so there were different words, and, and basically what the New Testament does, what the Bible does, it picks a word that the Greeks really weren't using. I mean, there, there's hardly any any use of it outside of the Bible, and then the Bible fills it with meaning, okay? So this is one of those times where really the Bible almost creates a word. It almost creates a, a concept, a thought, and, and that is this, this concept of love or agape love. That's the Greek word here and uh, we 're really handicapped in our culture because when we think of love, I think our images automatically go to the wrong to the wrong thing i, I don 't think we get what Paul is saying here. Paul is really defining in this passage he 's basically saying this is what love is, so we have a definition here. The whole passage is basically a definition, but in, in our in our culture, when you think of love, um, you don 't think of what Paul is talking about right here. Um, not at all. When we hear of love, we primarily think of feeling something, right? We, we primarily think of, of something inside of us going on, a, a certain delight going on inside of us. I I Googled the word love, and then I hit the images button, which I know can be very dangerous sometimes. This time it worked out okay. Um, but, Sean, put that uh, put that beach picture up there. Um, I just kind of want to you know, a lot of times, you should, what does our culture think of when they think of love? And, man, this was a picture, not this exact picture, but A couple, like, kissing or holding hands on the beach was all over it. I mean, that that, that was like the, almost the picture of love for our culture, okay? Now, the interesting thing about that is that really has nothing to do with biblical love, okay? Okay? Um, you know, what What Paul just wrote here about this is what love is. Love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast, does not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That couple could be breaking every one of those. They could have absolutely none of any of that and still be doing that, you know. They might have met at, uh, at a bar on the beach 20 minutes ago. They don't even know each other's last name, you know. I mean, so, so our, our culture has this picture of love and it's... It's something like that. Let's get a little more kind of a sentimental one. Put that those two little kids up there, Sean. This is another one that came up and there's a lot of this stuff. <clears throat> you know, and, and so we see a lot of this kind of stuff, you know, two little kids little boy little girl and they're kissing, you know, and um, which really I I don't know. That's I don't even know if that's a real pair. Do really do kids really do that? Do little brother I'm assuming that's a brother and sister, um, Maybe, I guess. Um, But really, that's not a picture. If you're going to have a picture of a brother and a sister exercising biblical love, that's really not it. You know, I mean, that, I mean, that, that, They don't have to be patient or kind or not envy or boast or arrogant. I mean, it really doesn't have anything to do with that. Now, you know, a better picture would be, you know, a picture that 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 little boy just went and ripped all her Barbie heads off, you know, and then she's responding in a loving way. That would be a good picture of love. Right. And, And so so a lot of times we're not even going in the right direction because all we're thinking of is pleasant feelings. But notice the first word that Paul uses to describe love is patient. Okay? Now now by nature of, of the definition of the word patient, it involves an unpleasant situation, right? I mean, do you ever have to be patient in a pleasant situation? You know, let me put another picture of a kid up here. This is a better one, I think. This will be a good picture of love. You know, you should put that on a greeting card on Valentine's Day. You know, love is. I mean, there's a better picture. You know, you've been up with the kid all night. You know, you've been meeting his needs. You know, caring for him, feeding him. You know, and you put Fruit Loops on his tray. He doesn't want Fruit Loops, and that's what he does. And now you exercise biblical love. I mean, this is an opportunity for biblical love right there. This this would be a good a good picture that would. to kind of capture the response of of biblical love or what kind of situation would demand it. Notice verse 5. Paul says love doesn't insist on its own way. Okay. Now whenever you're not insisting on your own way, what does that imply? That implies a situation where there's there's at odds, right? It's, it involves a situation of conflict. Somebody else wants their way. You want your way. It's two different ways. Somebody's got to give. You're on a collision course. That, that's when you need biblical love. Notice verse 5 again. Love is not irritable or resentful. What kind of situations do you have to fight against? Irritation and resentment. Situations in which, there, which there's conflict. There's hurt. There's 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 difficulty. Somebody's ticked you off. I mean, those are the situations in which love goes to work. That's when biblical love kicks in. It kicks in when things are tough, when they're uncomfortable, when they're unpleasant. And so we have to we rewire basically how we think of love. And so when we when we read this passage, we think love is, okay? Love is all these things. When we, when we hear a passage about love, when we hear that God loves us, when we, we are to love our brother, we have, we have to rewire our, 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 our thinking of love. Because here's honestly what happens. I mean, every Christian would say, I want to love my brother. Yes, I, I love my brother. Let my church family, until there is a situation in which two things are colliding, right? And and until there's a situation where patience is needed, where there's irritation, where there's frustration, where there's resentment, and all of a sudden it goes out the window, you know? And it's like, man, this is your chance, you know? You said you you love your brother, and God gives you an opportunity here, and immediately you're bailing out on it, saying, well, I'm not going to love because of this. No, this is the reason you have opportunity to love. And so we need to rewire the way that we think about how we love and what love is. Now, the context of this passage, very interesting. The context of this passage is spiritual gifts. Man, if you remember, if you last week, we looked in chapter 12 and we talked about spiritual gifts. What's a spiritual gift? Well, our definition was verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay? What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is when the Holy Spirit, who indwells every believer... Works in such a way through that believer, uniquely through that believer, to build up the faith of somebody else, okay? Another believer, okay? So that, that's, that's a spiritual gift. Uh, So a spiritual gift is all about the Holy Spirit using you to strengthen the faith and to build up another believer. And so isn't it interesting that Paul, right in the middle of a long passage, chapter 14 is about spiritual gifts as well, a long passage on spiritual gifts, puts right in the middle of that deal this this chapter on love. And basically what he's saying is if we're going to build up others in faith, if I'm going to build up Tony's faith, if I'm going to strengthen him in faith, if I'm going to bless him, if I'm going to do good to him, then I've got to exercise biblical love. That's got to be in, in my heart. Because biblical love is to sacrificially pursue the well-being of others. So it goes right along with spiritual gifts. Okay? Spiritual gifts are a capacity the Holy Spirit gives you to strengthen and build up somebody's faith. Biblical love is the will okay, to sacrificially pursue the well-being of others. Now what's interesting in, in how Paul starts out this passage is that, that you can be really religious and you can be active in faith... And not be characterized by biblical love. Did, did you see how he starts it out? He talks about if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have, have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver my body, be burned. I mean, if I do all these incredible things, basically Paul goes to the, to, the, to the furthest end of the spectrum and says, man, if I do the most awesome Christian stuff in the world, you know, I just do it all, okay? But, but I don't have love. then then I'm not getting anywhere, I'm not getting anywhere spiritually. And and, and what he's saying is, look, you can have gifts, you can have talents and capacities, but without love it's all worthless. Listen, there are folks in the church who know all kinds of things about the Bible. These folks irritate me and they frustrate me more than anybody. I've got to really exercise biblical love with these folks because they know all kinds of things about the Bible, but literally they are useless in building up anybody's faith. I mean they, they just don't do it. It just doesn't happen. Nobody's edified by them. Nobody comes out of there strengthened. No, no no nobody nobody loves their wife better because of them. Nobody loves their husband better because of them. Nobody loves their kids better. No nobody steps out in faith. Nobody turns away from materialism. Nobody turns away from idolatry. Nothing good happens and it's not because they don't know all kinds of stuff they do. But they don't have love. And you see, love is that, is, is that willful direction of your heart that seeks to build somebody up in faith. It's interesting what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, because this is a gifted church. Corinth has gifted people in it, okay? They've got, they've got all the best musicians and all the best you know, uh, eloquent speakers. and They've got all, all kinds of gifts. But in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, "...concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge." Knowledge, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In other words, you can have knowledge and it not build up. Love is that desire, that willful intention to build somebody up to bless them. Philippians 2, 3 talks about the mind of Christ. And it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. That's the mind of Christ and that's the mind of love. It's for me to say, I'm not looking at my own interest. Man, I'm worried about you. I'm I'm, I'm worried about my brother. I'm worried about my family. I I, I am intentionally, willfully, directionally living out my life in a way to build you up, to glorify God and to to bless and to build up the other people in my life. Now, if you don't have that, if you don't have that internal engine that propels you to act on the behalf of others, your gifts aren't going to be much good. So if you don't have love... Basically, your gifts are stripped of their potency. I thought about Jonah. It's interesting because God used Jonah anyway. Okay. But here's a guy who has great faith. Have you ever thought about it? Jonah is maybe the, the a guy who has the greatest faith in God in the Bible. You know, he knows exactly what's going to happen. When God tells him, go preach to the Ninevites, there's not a doubt in his mind what's going to happen. And they're going to get saved. You know, they're going to get saved. They're going to repent. God, judgment's not going to come to them. You know, they're going to go to heaven. And I mean, Jonah's convinced of that. So convinced that he doesn't go to Nineveh. He goes the other direction. You know why? Because he does not love the Ninevites, you know. He hates them. He doesn't want them to have God's grace. But as far as a guy of faith, he's a guy of faith. He's a guy who completely misses, you know, the kingdom of God. And and, and basically the the story ends by him sitting on a beach, just just really hacked off at God because God killed his plant, you know. And he's just pouting, and he's in misery, and uh, I, mean, I mean, it's just a tragic story. But it's 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 a story about a guy that doesn't have love. You know, it's possible. Verse three says to be a generous giver. Okay, you could be a generous giver. I mean, you can you can just really give to people, but out of a heart that's completely wrong. Out of a heart of obligation or a heart of guilt or a heart of wanting the praise of men. I mean, your whole motive in giving is so that somebody might see you, you know, and then think well of you and pat you on the back and be, wow, that guy's awesome. That guy's great. You know, I I mean, you can be be doing the right things, but doing them all wrong and and have no spiritual merit, no spiritual value because you don't have love. I mean, without love, I, I could preach. And man, this is a big temptation for me. I mean, if I don't come here today saying, man, I really want to bless these people. I want their good. I love them. Um, if I don't do that, then the tendency is for me to preach just it's my job, you know. I do it because it's my job or I do it because, you know, they're expecting me to or I do it because I want you to think well of me. Uh, the gifts can be really distorted without love. You know, without love, you might invite people to your block party. You know, you, you, might, you, might, you might really really be diligent to invite them to your block party just so they can see your awesomeness, you know. Just so you can show off your house and your 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 new tile or your, your granite countertops or whatever it is you know you're proud of or, or you know your uh, your yard you know maybe that's it you know yeah, yard of the month you're gonna invite everybody to your block party and nobody can get on the yard though everybody's got to stay on the driveway you know I I mean I mean there's all kinds of do you see what I'm saying I mean there's an endless amount of ways you could mess this up you can mess up even even good things even your spiritual gifts you know, you might teach a Sunday school class just because you feel guilty because nobody else will. You know, and so it's a drudgery every Sunday, and, and the kids, you know, nothing's happening, it's just just this battle, but you're just you're doing it, but 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 there's not love. And, and so basically what Paul's saying is we gotta get this right. I mean, we desperately need to get this right. We need to understand what it is, you know, that, that first of all, it's it's not just simply about emoting, it's not just simply a a way of feeling. We've we got to stop thinking about it the way we talk about everything else in, in, in our society. You know, we, we say things like, I love milkshakes, and I love the thunder, and, you know, I, I love summer, and I love going to the lake. And, and man, th- that, that has nothing to do with biblical love, okay? I mean, I mean, people talk about love like you almost catch it like the flu. You know, I mean, do you hear people talk about that? I mean, that's exactly what they mean. Is you know, wow, boom, it hit me. I saw her, and you know, I just I love it first time. You know, I was at all these feelings inside of me. You know, and we went out on five dates, and it was incredible. And then the sixth date, we started talking, and man, she's horrible. You know, and I fell out of love. Man, I got better. You know, it's like, it's like it happens. You know, it just hits you, and then it goes out. And, You know, I, I mean, it's just a it's just a messed up way of of looking at love. And and, and from a biblical perspective, it's very possible to have no pleasant feelings about someone and and yet be living in biblical love. In fact, that's probably often the case, okay? Love love is going to demand something of you, okay? It's not just going to happen in you. That's what we like to think of love. It just happened in me and one day it just... Happened not, you know, and so now, now, I'm, now I'm not committed to that person anymore because it, you know, it happened and it happened not, you know. No, I mean, it's going to demand something of you. It's going to be act of the will to put the welfare of others above your own. I'm not saying it doesn't have feelings. I think it does, okay, but but they come with the direction of your life. It's going to demand sacrifice. It's not going to be based, based on the merit of the person you're loving. I mean, that, that's a huge deal in biblical love. Is It's not because you don't love somebody because they deserve it. If they deserve it, it's not love, it's payment, okay? You owe them that, okay? But but biblical love, is based on God's love for us. We, we don't deserve any of his love. In fact, we deserve his wrath. We deserve the very opposite thing. We deserve for, for, for him to send us to hell. That's what the Bible says. We're all sinners. And yet God loves us. And, and the Bible lifts up God as the standard of love. In 1 John chapter 4, um, verse um, 16, I think it is. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. The Bible says God, God is love. His very nature, his very character is love. Romans 5.5 5 says that God has poured out in a believer, poured out through the Holy Spirit, the love of God into their hearts. First John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. It's all connected to our relationship with God. The only way we're able to pull off this biblical love thing is, is by our connection to God um, and, and looking at God's love. I mean, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he he gave, right? I mean, the next word is a verb. Yeah, it, 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 it's an action word. It's a direction of the heart of God. It's a direction of the will of God. God doesn't just sit up in heaven and say, "Man, I feel, you know, I feel so good about all these people, you know, and and I just feel good about them, and you know, they're all perishing and going to hell." But I feel so good about them, you know, as they do that, as they, as they drop off, you know, one after another. Not, not at all. God, God loved us in the sense He acted. He sent Jesus Christ to sacrificially. Give himself on the cross for us. That is the picture of love. And, and if we're gonna love, it's gotta be that. Okay? First John 3.18 says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Okay? Now, let me pull back and say, but be careful. It's not merely actions. Okay, we just talked about that, right? We, we, we can very easily do virtuous acts for reasons other than the glory of God, reasons other than to bless others, reasons other than love. Okay? Love demands a certain motive okay, that leads to a, a proven action, okay? So it's a certain motive, and that motive is to bless, to, to, to sacrifice of yourself for the welfare of another, and then, and then it revolves around the action that flows from that, okay? Now, let's, let's look at these words. I don't know how to preach this any other way than this. I, I know it's kind of maybe a boring way to preach it, um, <clears throat> but I, I want to just walk through each one of these words, um, the thing that's been very helpful in my life is is for these words to be in my head, okay, for them to be in my heart. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I'll, I'll explain why more in a little bit, um, but let me just, just start out with this. I need to know when I'm not doing this. Does that make sense? So it's really good for me to meditate. If you haven't memorized this passage, you need to at least memorize the the, the words, you know, patience, uh, envy, boast, arrogant. I mean, you need to know those things. You need to have those things in your head because those are red flags when you're not loving, okay? And the things that you pursue as an act of the will to be loving, all right? So let's look at them real quickly here. Um, First of all, love is patient, okay? This, this word in the Greek is almost exclusively used for patience with people. There's another word that happens later. It talks about patience with trials or endurance through trials. But this word is really about people. It's about when people inconvenience you, when they wrong you, when they neglect you, when they frustrate you. And when it happens over and over and over and over again, your response of love... Is, is responding in a way that is not angry, is not flying off the handle. It is not harming them. It is not seeking your own revenge. OK, when it says love is patient, it is responding to those difficult situations in a way that is not sinful, in a way that that, that blesses and, and sacrifice for for that person. And, and I'll tell you, I, I mean, just just me reminding myself that love is patient. It is so helpful because it reminds me that the situations that demand demand patience, my patience, are the situations in which I have opportunity to love. I mean that's my shot, you know? That's my opportunity. I said, God, I want to live out my faith. God, I wanna I wanna be obedient to you. God, I wanna do your will. God says, Okay, here you go, you know. Um uh you know, here's what your kids are going to do today, you know, and man, aren't you fortunate because now you have an opportunity. You've got a setting in which to live out biblical love. And again, as we look to God, is not God patient? I mean, we frustrate him every day. We sin against him every day. We, 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 we do not do his will. We offend him over and over again. And yet he holds back his wrath and he dumps in our lap, grace, mercy, and his riches, You know, I mean, we're a sinner and God turns around and and sends Christ and connects us to himself and dumps all of his riches for all eternity into our lap at the same time that we are sinning against him. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And and so God is this picture of patience. And and, and if we're going to love, we're going to have to love in that way. Okay. Love is kind. That's the second one. Um, love is kind. I, I like what somebody said. I don't remember who said it. Maybe it was MacArthur, but he said, um, "He said patience puts up with everything. Kindness is willing to give everything." And, and that's a great picture of kindness. Kindness is this relentless giving, this practical giving. Um, kindness is a very practical word. Um, it, it is doing acts of of goodwill toward other people. Okay, whether that is. Um, leaving a big tip at the restaurant, whether that is change somebody's tire, whether that is helping them with their lawn, whether that is, you know... Uh um, giving them a compliment, whether that is helping them understand a Bible verse, whether that is praying for them in a time of need. I mean, I mean the, the list is literally endless, you know, just depending on the need. You will have opportunities for kindness all day long, you know, to, to be kind, to do some sort of act of goodwill in somebody else's life. And the Bible says love is kind. That, that's love, love manifests itself in these constant, continual acts of kindness toward other people. That's what it means to love. That's the expression of love. And, and, and it's, it's the most practical one because when you think about our definition that love is sacrificially um, seeking the welfare of others, we do that in practical ways. We, we, we do that in nuts and bolts every day, out in the trenches ways. Listen is what Jesus said. I know this is a passage about retaliation. Uh, it's kind of the context of it. But it's also a passage about kindness. <clears throat> kindness in the, in the most difficult of circumstances, okay? Matthew five forty. And if anyone would sue you take, uh, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, give him, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You know, this, this is literally kindness in, in, in a situation of oppression, you know? So, someone's trying to take from you and you turn around and say, no, 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 you don't have to take. Here you go. I'm, I'm going to give. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to be kind to you in the midst of your oppressing me. That's radical kindness. That's Jesus' kind of kindness. That's God's kind of love. Okay, Keep going here. Uh, love does not envy. We, won't, we don't have time to spend much, much time on each of these. In fact, we're going to cruise through some of them. Love, love does not envy. Um, think about what envy does. In, envy, okay, our definition of love, <clears throat> love. Love sacrificially seeks the welfare of others. Okay? What does envy do? Envy says, and I'm not concerned about your welfare, I'm concerned about my welfare, and I really want what you have, okay? You got something good, and it ticks me off, and I want it, you know? And, and, and I wanted what you had, and I wish you wouldn't have got it. I wish I would have got it. I, I, I mean, the very nature of en- envy goes against biblical love. Because in biblical love, I'm saying, man, I want good things for you. Man, I really hope good things happen to you, and, and, and I want your welfare. Envy says, I want mine, you know, and, and and I don't want you to have that. I want, I want to have that. I want to, if I could take that from you, I would. Okay. That, that, that's envy. Envy doesn't want what's best for someone. It's not thinking about the welfare. It's thinking about our welfare. And think about all the, the, the sins in the Bible that resulted from envy. You know, Cain and Abel. You know, here's Cain. God accepts Abel. God doesn't accept Cain. Burns him up, you know. Even though he's not obeying God, he's been disobedient to God, he can't stand that his brother is in favor, and he's not. So much so, he takes him out and says, you know, I I can solve this problem real quick, you know. You'd be in the dirt, and then, hey, then, you know, I don't got to worry about your favor anymore. I mean, mean, that envious. Joseph and his brothers, you know. Some good happens to Joseph. The father unicode to coat him in colors. God's got a special plan for his life. Gives him all these dreams. They can't stand it. So much so, they're willing to kill him. They're willing to sell him. They're willing to break their dad's heart because they don't want good things for him. It's the opposite of love. Notice the next one. Love is not envy or boast. Now, boast is the other side of envy. Okay. Now, when you boast, you know what you you do. You want other people to envy you. I mean, that, that's why you boast, right? You know, you, you, you drop hints about kind of, you know, what, what you've been doing and what you got and where you've been and who you are and your accomplishments and how much money you make, all trying to stir up in other people an envy of yourself. You know, boasting is saying, man, I, I, I'm I so awesome that I want you to feel bad about your junky stuff, you know. I want you to feel bad about your junky life, and I want you to be in oh of my life, you know, I mean, that, that's what I want. I, 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 I want you to feel bad and, and, and want to be me, you know, isn't that ridiculous when you actually express it in words, you know, um, it just, it sounds so dumb, you know, I mean, we, do we really do that? Yeah, we do it all the time, you know, and that's what boasting is. Boasting is, is exalting yourself and trying to make other people impressed with who you are. Okay, goes right along with arrogance. Um, uh, love is not arrogant. It's not prideful. It does not think much of itself. Uh, it thinks of others and of God. That's humility. Um, look at, the, I like this. I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. Love is not rude. This is just so incredibly practical, okay? Uh, I think some Bibles say it does not act unbecoming, okay? But man, manners are huge uh, when they're taught um, with, a biblical, with a biblical mooring or biblical foundation. Um, I've tried I've tried really hard to teach my kids manners. And some of you, are, I know what you're saying right now. Boy, is he unsuccessful, you know. Uh, thanks, I appreciate it. Um, but I, I've tried. And, and the way I've tried is to always connect it to biblical love, you know. Because when you tell a kid don't belch at the table, I mean, I don't think they get that unless you connect it to why, you know. Why, Dad? Everybody laughs. You know, I'm making people happy. You know, uh, I mean, wh- wh- why, why do you why do you do that? Why, why do you look somebody in the eye and shake their hand when you're eight? You know, why, why, why do you need to do that, Dad? It's all about biblical love. It's all about, man. I am seeking your welfare. I, I want I want you I want you to be blessed. And I tell my kids, man, listen, you can be a blessing to the adults in our church. You know, and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be a, you know, a, a rocket scientist for this deal. Just be be polite. You know, when someone speaks to you, look them in the eye, which is a sign that says, hey, you're important. You know, I mean, it's just a small sign that says, oh, you're talking to me. Yeah, I want to talk to you, you know. Ask him some questions. It's really hard for a kid to do. It just really is. It's really hard for a kid to do. But man, some of our kids at our church—we've got some great kids in our church—and some of them nail it. You know, um, I had a kid come up to me the other day, and he's—you know—I was like, "Hey, buddy, how are you?" And he's like, "I'm fine, Pastor Jason. How are you doing?" You know? And it was just bless my heart here just a little nine-year-old, he cares about how I'm doing, you know, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, it created a pleasantness, right, I mean, that's, that's what manners do, they create a pleasantness, that's what hospitality does, you know. Whenever someone new comes to your block party tonight, and whenever you're like, oh, hey, who are you? Uh, your name is John and Jill, and you live down the street. Oh, hey, let me introduce you to, you know, Bill and Sue. They live right on the other side of you. John and Jill, this is Bill and Sue. And, and John, he works out in the oil field. Bill, don't you work in the oil field? You know, what are you doing? You're you're attempting to create a good atmosphere. You're you're, cont- you're, you're attempting to bless. I want this family to be Blessed. And sometimes, church, we can be really unloving. I mean, really, when we when we miss that, and we won't even get it, but, you know, if we're just doing our own thing, and we just kind of group up in our own huddle, new people come, nobody's doing anything. Why? Because we're worried about ourselves, you know? Like, I want to be affirmed today, and I want to talk to you, and I want to talk to anybody else, I want to talk to you, and I want you to talk to me. I mean, that's just unloving. I, I mean, there's just basic principles of manners that that, that are really Really loving, man. You remember the Corinthians problem in the Lord's Supper? Remember that we looked at it a couple weeks ago? when We looked at the Lord's Supper. First Corinthians eleven. What was, what, was, what was a couple of the big issues? What was it? First of all, they they weren't waiting, you know, for everybody to get there. The the rich were getting there early because they had the spread, you know, and they they were finishing their stuff. They were getting drunk before the poor guys even came. And they weren't sharing. I mean, what, God is so ticked about that he kills some of them. Remember that? And, and the foundation of that is just simply a rudeness. It's simply, I don't really care about you. I don't care enough to wait until you get here. I don't care enough to share what I have. I don't care enough to just just have the common courtesies of of attempting to bless you. Love's a big deal. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, Verse 5 is where we're at. Uh, It does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. It doesn't seek its own. When a person is acting in love, he's actively seeking to bless somebody else. And and so so the Bible says love does not seek its own. It doesn't spend its time and energies pouring into himself. Love invests in others. It's just an investment principle, okay? Love says, man, because of what Jesus has done for me, because the love of God has been poured into my life, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, because the hope I have in Christ, I am going to invest in others. I'm not going to seek my own. Basic principle that goes right along with the definition of love. I like this one. Love is not irritable. Um, Your Bible might say provoked, uh, aroused to anger. Um, It's to provoke an emotionally charged response. Um, When you're focused on others, you'll find that you get less angry. We talked about this Wednesday night. Uh, We had a great man up. I thought it was great. Um, We had a great man up just talking about anger, just talking about men and anger and our responsibility as men. And, and, and man, part of love is just, is it, it, not focusing on ourself to the point where those little things don't become big things. I mean, that's really what, what what that's all about. I mean, the more you focus on your rights and the more you focus on what you think you deserve and the more you focus on, you know, your, your due, okay? The more you're irritated that everybody else isn't on page with that. And, and love isn't irritable, okay? It's not irritable. Look, look at this next one. Love is not resentful, okay? Do does, does some of your Bibles say love keeps no, no record of wrongs? Is that, does anybody's Bible have that? And Yeah. Some of, I actually think that's a great translation. It's a big translation for one little word, you know, and I think like the ESV has tried to kind of parallel with this is just a word, it's not a phrase, and so it tries to use a word, resentful. Um, but, but I love that, that keeps no record of wrongs, because that's a great definition. The actual word means to tabulate. It's an accounting word. It means to ponder and to keep a mental record. Okay, the word actually means to sit in your mind and keep up with you know. know, That's what it means. That's what that word means. And, And basically, love does not obsess over keeping track of what others have done for you or against you. It doesn't have that record keeping. Man, I can't tell you how many marriages that I've counseled that they've got. They literally have a, a, a board, okay, inside their hearts in which they keep track. You know, you did this for me, you did this for me, you did not do this. You know, here's your here's your here's your good things. You got three of them. Here's your bad. Uh, right now we're at three million four hundred thirty-three thousand two hundred eighty-three. Okay, uh, I mean they just have they have this record of wrong. You know, and they'll be sitting on in my office and and things will get a little tense. And all of a sudden, man, they are bringing, they're pulling out. The ammo, you know, they're bringing up. You know, last year, let me tell you about this. And here's what I did. You know, I mean, they've got this record of wrongs. Love doesn't do that. Why? Go back to our definition. Love sacrificially seeks the welfare of others. You see, when I'm keeping track, whose welfare am I thinking about? Mine. I'm saying, I don't know you nothing. I'm not going to be kind to you. I'm not going to be patient with you. Why? Because look at the score. You, you, you've not done what i think for me my focus is on me i've kept track some people literally keep track literally i had a lady one time and she gave it to me on a piece of paper and she had charted the number of times that i had been there for her and the number of times that i'd let her down literally i got it i think i still got it in my office uh and I wasn't ahead either. I was behind, <laughs> and I thought I was ahead, but I wasn't, man. You can't love that way. And by the way, you will be very miserable. Okay, can I just tell you that, in all honesty, just because I love you, and because I'm right with you, I've, I tried it. I really tried that. You know, I tried to keep track and and of my own righteousness and. And you know everybody else is bad, and my wife's bad. Man, I tell you what—if you want to be really miserable, that's 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 a quick way. I mean, you'll get there quick, okay? You, you'll be you'll be one of the sorriest people you know, okay? Real quick, by by keeping a record of wrongs. Love doesn't do that. <clears throat> Love does not. Rejoice in unrighteousness. This is kind of a tough one, okay? But it, man, I'm so glad that Paul put this in here. Um, let me tell you a couple of ways that this works itself out. Love doesn't try to justify our own wrong actions, you know? You, you, ever, you ever try to do that? You ever do something spiteful, something mean, and then you just, like, you put on the command performance of the century defending it? You ever do that, you know? And you just, you know... I didn't mean that when I said, you know, when I said you were heavy, I just meant, you know, you're really important to me. I mean, you just got to, you know, I mean, and you just put on this, you know, just, ah, oh, I can't believe you took that wrong, you know. And, and uh, you know what you're doing? You're rejoicing in unrighteousness. You, you've been clearly unrighteous. <laughs> and now you're 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 spinning it to be that that's not what it is. That that's not love. Love doesn't commit a sin and justify it. Love, love is honest about what sin is. Okay? We're going to talk about some other things here in a minute. About giving people the benefit of the doubt and all this. But we always got to keep in mind. But yet, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. is why love doesn't gossip. It's why loving people don't gossip. You know why? Because you know what gossip is? It's like, hey, for no good reason at all, let me tell you about the bad, the sin, the filth. The blackness, the ugly in somebody else's life. And you and I will we'll have a little bit of self-righteous glee over it. That's not love. You know what? Love doesn't support people in their unrighteousness. This is a real hard one. Parents, oh, it's hard for us. You know what love doesn't do? <laughs> love doesn't see sin in, in somebody close to us and say, I'm going to fund that. I'm gonna support you in that. Love still accepts. We'll talk about that in a minute. But love, love doesn't, love doesn't say, man, I'll, I'm gonna help you sin. You know why? Because we care about that person, and sin destroys their life. You, you know what makes us fund sin? Fear. It's not love. It's fear. Isn't that right? We're afraid. What if I don't? What if, what if? What if? they? What if they? What if they don't love me? You know? And what if? What if they? Whatever. It's fear. We should grieve over the sins of others because of, of, what, of the destruction that it brings. <clears throat> love rejoices in the truth. Uh, again, this one goes right along with the other one. Um, th- there's a lie in our culture that says if you love me, you, you, won't ever, you won't ever disagree with me. You won't ever tell me anything that I'm doing is wrong. Um, you, you, won't ever, you won't tell me the truth. You'll, you'll just let me believe what I want to believe. That's just, not, that's just not true. That's not love. Listen if, if I'm convinced that Drano would help my sinus problem, which I have today really bad and 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 I'm fully convinced of that, and I have the Drano in my hand, and you sit and watch me drink it because you just don't want to disappoint me that it's not really going to help. you know you don't love me, you don't love me you're, you're not you're not seeking my welfare. Verse seven, love bears all things. It's a word that means to support, to cover. To protect. Okay, love protects. Um, Let me tell you a cool way that I think this this lives out. Um, Love tries to to protect people from embarrassment, from ridicule, from harm, from failures, from mistakes. You know, it's possible to speak truth about someone's sin, but at the same time, be over there trying to to cover it. That's a beautiful thing. I I used an illustration one time. (laughs) I, I like it. But if uh, someone someone sins, you know, there's a couple of different things we can do. You know, we can, we can speak truth to that person. And then we can say, <clears throat> all right, everybody, so and so, look at what they've done. But fortunately, I came along and I spoke truth, you know, into their life. And they're not doing that anymore. Uh, but we need to be really careful about that guy because, you know, he's got that sin in his life. Okay? We can do that. Or... We can know someone's sins, and, and we can speak truth about it, and then we can, as best we can, we can try to cover that up. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, someone's a child molester and you're hiding it from the cops. No, 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 you know. I'm talking about someone said something that was really tacky, you know, and, and you confronted him on it. You said, man, that's, that's not... And, and they knew it, and so after that, you, you didn't go tell everybody about it. You'd, you'd rather let's let's keep it, let's protect that person. I think that's loving. I like this. Love believes all things, man. Love's not suspicious or cynical. Um, it really tries to believe the best about people. Man, do that, do that, man. As a pastor, this is the worst. One of the worst parts of being a pastor is that everybody in town feels like they need to tell me if they think that somebody in my congregation has done something wrong, you know? And and here's my mode of operation. I don't believe it until I have full evidence that it's happened. And, and I mean, I had this this week. I had this this week. So I'm like, this is what's happening. And I don't know if it is or not, but I've got one person's word, you know? and and my mode of operation is i i'm, I'm going to give my brother the benefit of the doubt. Cuz you know what? If it, if it did happen, guess what? It i'm going to it's going to come out. Unfortunately, it uh, horribly it will, you know. But until then, man, I'm 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 going to trust my brother. I'm going to love him. I probably need to probably go talk to him, you know, but but I'm going to love him. Remember Job's friends? Man, they were so quick to believe the worst about Job, you know? Here's their buddy, He's having a horrible time. He says, "I'm, I'm innocent. I'm not done anything." Uh, you know, you probably have, Joe. You know, what I mean, it's right away. You know, it's just, it's a thing God gets really angry about him for. Love hopes all things, man. No matter how messy someone's life gets or how bleak the situation, you know what? The, you know, hope, hope believes the best for them, and that goes right along with the last thing: hope or love endures all things. Love is a relentless pursuer of of people. It doesn't stop. It just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, hoping for for transformation in our life. All right, real quickly, uh, and I know I covered up my watch. That's a bad sign. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, we're just gonna finish. How, how do we get there? Um, a couple things. All right. First of all, because God is love, we've we've got to we've got to get to love by by through God by appropriating the gospel and. And here's the deal. Sin, by nature, is the exaltation of self. It is the opposite of love. Um, And and unless we deal with our sin, we're never going to be very loving, okay? So first big principle here uh, in in applying this is to love well, we've got to battle our own sin, okay? To the degree that we practice biblical love, um, it's to the degree that we will put to death our sinful Selves, okay, so love is patient. What does that mean? We got to put to death simple frustration. Okay, whenever I find myself getting frustrated over something, when I find myself getting irritated over something, I find myself not, you know, wishing to harm somebody or hurt somebody or not care for somebody because of that, I've got to put that to death. Okay, I've, I've got to appropriate the gospel right then and there. I've got to come to Jesus. Okay. Love is kind, which means I've got to put to death sinful cruelty and neglect. And here's the big one for us, probably indifference, okay? Whenever I just don't care very much, whenever I find myself not, not doing things very practical in people's lives. Love doesn't envy or boast, which means I've got to put to death pride. I've got to put to death focusing on myself, caring more about myself than, than others. Love is not irritable, which means I've got to put to death the selfish desire for a trouble-free life. Man, that's huge for me. Is that huge? Is that big for you guys? You know, I just expect that things will go right, and 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 they they just don't. That's not the world we live in. Um, man, I, I, it just isn't. I was reminded of this Friday night. I, I I had one simple job: change the oil on my scooter. Okay, that's all. It doesn't even have a filter. Un, un, unscrew the deal, old oil, put it back in, new oil. That's it. You know. Uh, long story short, I, I tried, tried to find a can to put it in to haul it away and I picked the wrong kind of can and, and I did the stupidest thing ever. I hammered the lid on it and I thought it was and then I went to check it to see if the lid was on because I was going to put it in my car. I mean, it just dumped all So I mean, I just, I mean, and it's just, it's just, that's just life, isn't it? You know, I mean, it just went like that over and over. And I, I mean, you know, I'm the only guy, it takes like, you know, 12 hours to change the oil on my scooter by the time I clean up all my mess, you know, that's just, it's just life. Okay. That's just, isn't it? Don't expect a trouble-free life. Um, Drew, would you let Mike in? Um Okay. We got to get going quick here. Um, the other side of that, to love well, we got to see more and more of Christ's glory. Wednesday night, I talked to the guys about what's the mountain in your life, okay? If the mountain in your life is yourself, then it's going to be the big thing. And by mountain, I think what's the big thing, okay? What's the big If the mountain in your life is you, okay, if it's self, we will not love well. We will not be patient because other people are in our way. We, we, will, not, we, will, we will seek our own and we'll be rude and arrogant. We'll keep track of, of wrongs because we value self above all. Listen, though. If Christ is the mountain in your life, if he's the big thing, then we begin to cultivate love. You know why? Because we'll not envy. We'll trust Christ's wisdom to give us what we have, what we need. We won't boast because we'll know that whatever we have comes from Christ. If Christ is the mountain in our life, we'll be kind and full of hope and willing to endure. Why? Because we are rock solid, confident that Jesus is going to provide everything we need. That he's at work. That he's moving us to this great end. And so I think two big applications today. Number one, if you're going to love well, you've got to battle your sin. And number two, Christ has got to be the big thing. He's He's got to be the If you are the big thing in your life, you will not love others. You'll not love well. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness to us. I thank you, Father, for loving us in just a spectacular way. Thank you, Father, for um, your mercy to us, your grace to us, your kindness to us. And, Father, help us to live that out in, in real, tangible ways with others. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.